You're listening to Making Waves, fresh ideas in freshwater science. Making Waves is a monthly podcast where we talk about new ideas in freshwater science and why they matter to you. Making Waves is brought to you with support by the Society for Freshwater Science. Joining me today is Dr. Brad Cardinale. Dr. Cardinale is an associate professor in the School of Natural Resources and Environment at the University of Michigan. He received his bachelor's degree from Arizona State University working with Jim Elser and his master's in fisheries and wildlife from Michigan State University with Thomas Burton. His doctoral research was completed with Margaret Palmer at the University of Maryland and focused on freshwater community assemblages and diversity impacts on ecosystem function. He and his colleagues have completed many of the studies linking diversity to ecosystem function. More recently, he led a synthesis of the status of knowledge on how biodiversity influences ecosystem function and ecosystem services published last year in Nature. We are excited to have him here today to discuss these issues. So I guess a good place to start is to define biodiversity. There seems to be this notion that biodiversity refers only to species richness. Yeah, quite simply, biodiversity is defined as the variety of life. And the variety of life can be quantified at any biological level, ranging from genes to species to communities to ecosystems. Uh, But I think the key word in the definition is variety. All measures of biodiversity quantify variation, which means biodiversity has to represent more than just one type of organism. Now, given that definition, I I do think it's important to note that most of the research we'll talk about today has focused on a very limited measure of biodiversity, namely the number of species in an ecosystem or species richness. Uh, Researchers are are rapidly expanding our view to consider other forms of diversity like evenness and to do so at other levels like genes or whole communities, Uh, but those studies are in the minority right now. So ecosystems all have this diversity of functional traits or genes or species, but how does biodiversity or the loss of biodiversity impact ecosystem functions? The role of biodiversity in controlling ecosystem functioning is now abundantly clear, and it's backed up by more than 500 empirical studies that have been performed in almost every major biome throughout the planet. Uh, What we know from these studies is that whenever we reduce variation among species, genes, or biological traits in an ecosystem, the average impact is to reduce the efficiency, the productivity, and the stability of processes that are uh, going on in that ecosystem. So, for instance, less diverse communities are not as good at capturing biologically essential resources like sunlight, water, or nutrients. Uh, In turn, the growth of plants slows down, as does the growth of animals that eat the plants. Uh, We know that less diverse ecosystems are also less efficient at decomposing waste products and recycling essential nutrients. Essentially, those systems become more leaky. Uh, And we also know that less diverse ecosystems tend to be more variable through time, which causes them to exhibit greater fluctuations and higher levels of unpredictability. Uh, And these things are, I think, quite broadly true, very generally true across most of the world's biomes, and we've seen them for the vast majority of organisms that have been studied. So many of these studies come from terrestrial and marine environments, but what do we know about the role of biodiversity in rivers, streams, and lakes? Unfortunately, we know very little about the consequences of biodiversity loss in freshwater ecosystems. Uh, The freshwater community has lagged woefully behind their marine and their terrestrial counterparts in participating in this exploding area of research. Uh, Now, one possible exception to that 
is the study of how biodiversity affects rates of decomposition, and that's an area where stream ecologists have excelled. Uh, in fact, most of the data we have available to us looking at how biodiversity affects decomposition comes from people uh, who have put litter bags, mixed litter bags, into streams uh, and done so across gradients of diversity or put them in the lab and exposed them to gradients and diversity of uh, leaf shredders. Uh, and this is an area where um, stream researchers in particular have made a pretty strong contribution. Uh, but aside from how biodiversity affects decomposition, the freshwater community at best has a couple of interesting case studies that have contributed to the field of biodiversity ecosystem functioning. For example, my research that has looked at how uh, biodiversity of algae impact nutrient uptake and pollution control in streams is one example. Uh, we've got individuals like Daniel Allen who have looked at how diversity of mussels impacts hydrology. Uh, and in turn, the rates of sediment erosion at the um, uh, in bottom of streams. Uh, but aside from these select, uh, I think, very interesting and important case studies, the stream community has yet to embrace this field of diversity function, and I find that pretty unfortunate. Uh, freshwater ecologists, and in particular the stream community, has done an outstanding job of developing conceptual and mathematical models that tell us why diversity exists. We've, we've documented how temporal variation in stream flow and periodic floods can control diversity. We've shown how spatial variation in hydrology and geomorphology impact diversity. Uh, and once we know the causes of diversity in freshwater systems, it's a relatively small conceptual leap to begin to understand the consequences of diversity loss for stream functions and services. We've yet to make that leap in stream ecology, but I think it's a really key one that we need to do in the next uh, few years. So I guess my next question is, does it matter what species are present or lost from an ecosystem, or to what extent does a specific species loss or presence influence ecosystem function? That's an outstanding question, and it's probably the single biggest source of controversy in the field of biodiversity and ecosystem functioning. We know that biodiversity increases ecosystem functioning on average, but at the same time, we know without question that some species have very large impacts on ecosystem functioning, while others have small or negligible impacts on ecosystem functioning. Uh, and what that means is that depending on which species go extinct and in which order they go extinct, uh, the outcomes can range from catastrophic loss of nearly all functions to, in some cases, an increase in ecosystem functioning. Uh, in fact, the, the data that's available to date that suggests that roughly two-thirds of the time there is a single species that could function at a higher level than even the most diverse polyculture. So assuming that you knew which species that was and assuming that you could manage explicitly for the survival of that one taxa, you could perhaps conserve one process that you're interested in at the scale at which that one species exists. Now, you know, if you wanted a greater variety of functions over larger spatial scales or longer time frames, it's unlikely that one species could do it all. Uh, but the key point here is that we don't always need a diverse polyculture of species out in streams or lakes to clean up our water, to produce biomass, to provide fish food, etc. The take-home message for me from this controversy is that First, biodiversity does clearly matter for ecosystem functioning. Uh, and we now know that biodiversity ranks in the top five forms of global environmental change that can affect ecosystem functions like the productivity of ecosystems. 
And this is a really dramatic change in thinking from the 1990s when greater than 50% of all ecologists who were polled thought it was unlikely that biodiversity controlled anything important in ecosystems. Nevertheless, it is very clear that if we want to predict the consequences of diversity loss in any particular ecosystem like streams, we have to develop the quantitative models that account for the fact that some species have large impacts, others have small impacts on ecosystem functioning, and the risks of extinction of those species are not equal. Much of the research in this field has been done in controlled laboratory settings with lower trophic level species that are easy to grow and manipulate. But are we capturing the true variation that are present in food webs in nature? The short answer to that is no. The studies that have been performed today do not come even close to the reality of natural food webs that we see in real ecosystems. Clearly, there has been a bias towards studying um, organisms in lower trophic levels, like primary producers. And clearly, there has been an oversimplification of the food web where we have focused very heavily on diversity within trophic levels without considering impacts across trophic levels. Um, now, you, you're probably well aware that there is a whole different body of research, primarily that comes from the literature on trophic cascades, that show that loss of organisms at higher trophic levels can have massive implications, massive impacts on the functioning of ecosystems, such as things like primary production. Uh, and in fact, some recent analyses tend to suggest that loss of diversity from higher trophic levels, this, the per-species impact of diversity, is much, much higher for higher consumers than it is for loss of species at lower trophic levels from plants. What we don't yet know is when you put it all together, when you can study the consequences of extinction within a trophic level like plants and put it together with potential extinctions at higher trophic levels, what does that ultimately mean for ecosystem level processes? Uh, and I think it's a, an uh, active area, it's a vital need for the future for us to take what we call the horizontal impacts of diversity in trophic levels and add it to our understanding of trophic cascade to see what the consequences of food web diversity are, per se. As you mentioned earlier in the segment, biodiversity loss is one of the greatest threats facing in the environment today. What drivers are contributing to this loss, and which have the strongest influence? Habitat loss or conversion is always cited as the dominant driver of diversity loss worldwide, and I believe the data supports that unequivocally. But after habitat loss, the most widely cited causes of extinction are over-exploitation, invasive species, pollution, and climate change. Now, of those, I think there's clear evidence that over-exploitation and pollution, things like nutrient pollution, nutrification, have clearly contributed to extinction, including in freshwater ecosystems. Uh, it's quite unclear at present if invasive species are a major worldwide cause of extinction, particularly given recent evidence uh, such as the meta-analyses by Dove Sachs uh, that have shown rates of invasion often outpace rates of extinction and increase local diversity rather than decrease it in systems that have experienced invasion. Uh, climate change is often cited as having the greatest potential to impact biodiversity, uh, but of course its effects have yet to be realized because we're at the very early stages of climate change, and those are only anticipated to grow very large in the future. So you brought up invasive species, and as you mentioned, there are an increasing number of invasive species worldwide. There are some people arguing that invasives don't always have negative impacts, and they can increase diversity but in many cases, they often force the extinction or local extinction of native species. 
So can invasive species fill the roles of extirpated native species that they replace? That's a question that I often get, but I don't fully know how to respond to. Uh, you'll frequently hear this argument that uh, if biodiversity is so good for ecosystems, why not just have more species? For instance, why not spread species around? Uh, and I think that my response to that usually revolves around um, two different points. The first point is that we need to keep a long-term perspective in mind, even while rates of invasion may outpace uh, local rates of extinction. Uh, we need to think about the potential long-term consequences of those extinctions uh, that represent the debt, the extinctions that have yet to occur, uh, but where species are on their way to extinction. Uh, if it does, in fact, show, if the data do, in fact, show that over the long term, invasions actually increase the diversity of um, ecosystems, then we do need to face the possibility that invasions can increase ecosystem functioning. Now, that, whether or not invasions increase ecosystem functioning, I think largely comes down to a question of what are the mechanisms that allow invasion to occur. One of the most common mechanisms uh, that is cited is that invasive species have a unique or open niche to get established in an ecosystem where uh, niches are, or niche space is not filled. The enemy's release hypothesis represents an open niche. Uh, there's often citations suggesting that invasive species will fill an open spatial or temporal niche that allows them to capture resources that natives don't. If that is the primary reason why invasive species get established, I think um, it would be unequivocally true that the utilization of a new niche and environment would, in fact, increase the overall functioning of the ecosystem when we're talking about things like primary production. In fact, all theories suggest that would be true. That's not to say that increased functioning is necessarily good. We can't assign values of good or bad to functions. For instance, if you are managing a coral reef, the primary production of algae is absolutely terrible and very destructive for the reef, whereas if you're managing a forest for wood production, primary production is obviously hugely valuable. So we shouldn't fall in the trap of assigning human values to functions. They don't have any. Uh, but we can begin to think about the goods and services that would result from a system that has invaders of species as opposed to being dominated by native species. And there, our value system is often quite different. That's a perfect segue into my next question. So what do we know about how biodiversity actually translate into dollar value, into ecosystem goods and services? Yeah, translating biodiversity uh, into ecosystem goods and services uh, is an area where the data is perhaps not quite as far along as uh, how biodiversity affects ecosystem functions. Uh, we've got abundant evidence from ecology, and including many good case studies from freshwater ecology, how biodiversity impacts basic ecological processes like primary production and decomposition. But the vast majority of scientists who perform these studies never measure anything that has direct value to society. And it's even much more rare for the researchers to turn around and put any measure of value, such as dollars, on the things that they are considering as their response variables. Uh, so given that, it might not be surprising that when my colleagues and I summarized the results of more than 1,700 papers on how biodiversity impacts ecosystem services for a review that was published in Nature last year, 
we found that about 60% of all claims about biodiversity's role in supporting ecosystem services are currently unsubstantiated by any data. To say that another way, every time you hear a scientist argue how important biodiversity is for an ecosystem service, there's a 60% chance that person has no data to back up their claim. Now, the good news is roughly 40% of all the claims we evaluated did and have it did in fact have support by data, and sometimes there was abundant amounts of data from both experimental studies as well as observational studies performed in natural ecosystems. Uh, just as some examples, there's abundant evidence right now that more diverse forests produce more total wood, or that more diverse plant communities are more resistant to invasion or more resistant to certain kinds of plant disease. Uh, there's abundant evidence that more diverse plant communities generate more fertile soils. Uh, this review of 1,700 papers really led me to, to two conclusions that I think could go to different audiences. Uh, the first conclusion, uh, which I think is important for politicians and the public to hear, is that there is really solid emerging evidence that biodiversity affects certain goods and services that we care about and that have economic value to humanity. Uh, and we can say with some confidence that the loss of biodiversity is going to affect humanity in ways that have an influence on our pocketbook and our health. The flip side of that is that the scientific community, my second message is that the scientific community has to do better because we're currently building a house of cards where 60% of all of our claims are currently not substantiated by data and couldn't withhold or stand up to scrutiny if we were scrutinized by a special interest group. Well, so let me mention three uh, issues that I think are the most pressing research direction. And all three of these are, are areas where I think freshwater yeah. ecologists could, could make a real difference uh, in um, the future research for this field. First and foremost, I think it's super important that we begin to develop a mechanistic understanding of why biodiversity matters. Uh, we now have 500 publications or more that show clear patterns indicating diversity does, in fact, relate to ecosystem functions. We've got clear evidence that that frequently translates to services. What we don't have is good studies that tell us whether the mechanism is due to niche partitioning among species, whether it's mutualisms among species, whether it's some form of competition leading to competitive dominance. And quite frankly, if you don't understand the mechanisms, you can't develop a predictive mechanistic model. We will be stuck with nothing other than saying, hey, biodiversity matters, but I can't put any numbers on it. The second direction I think we need to go directly follows after we can develop the mechanisms, and that is to develop quantitative estimates of how many species need to be conserved if we want certain functions or goods or services. You can't go to Congress. You can't go to your local representatives. You can't go to the person who wants to develop a shopping mall and simply wave your arms around and say, hey, biodiversity really matters. We've got lots of studies that show it because the first thing those individuals are going to ask is, well, how many species do I need to save? And right now, scientists and working in this field have no quantitative estimates to offer people that say exactly how many species do we need to conserve. And quite frankly, many scientists don't want to even go there because they're worried it's not going to be 100%. But I think we need to start providing exact numbers, uh, recognizing we're not going to save everything, recognizing we don't have the time, we don't have the money, we don't have the personnel to save everything. 
Uh, and frankly, the data don't support the idea that everything needs to be saved, but we need to tell people exactly what fraction does need to be saved. That's going to require mechanistic models. It's going to require that we get improved experiments. Uh, and it's going to require that we start to compare the results of our experiments to diversity function relationships that we see in natural, unmanipulated ecosystems where species are really going extinct. The last thing in the last direction um, I think we need to go is towards economic valuation. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in this interview, the vast majority of measurements that have been taken by scientists are measurements that society doesn't necessarily care about in which we can't put a value on it, such as a marginal dollar value per species. Uh, there are several initiatives happening globally. Uh, there are several working groups, including a working group I have going on right now that brings together ecologists and economists uh, to try and calculate the marginal value of biodiversity for certain ecosystem services where we have a lot of data. Uh, these initiatives, I think, are going to change the way we, we look at diversity in the future, and they're going to provide us with very concrete numbers that we can go to politicians uh, and begin to argue for the benefits of biodiversity for society. This podcast was brought to you with support from the Society for Freshwater Science. For more information about this speaker, the podcast, or the society, please visit www.freshwater-science.org. Be sure to join us each month for more fresh ideas in freshwater science. Thanks for listening.